The sermon today comes from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 through chapter 2, verse 3. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. And God said, Let there be a dome in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. So God made the dome and separated the waters that were under the dome from the waters that were above the dome. And it was so. God called the dome sky, and there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And God said, Let the waters under the sky be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the earth put forth vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees of every kind on earth that bear fruit with the seed in it. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed of every kind, and trees of every kind bearing fruit with seed in it. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. And God said, Let there be lights in the dome of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years and let them be lights in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. God set them in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. And God said, Let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the dome of the sky. 
So God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves of every kind, with which the waters swarm and every winged bird of every kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures of every kind, cattle and creeping things and wild animals of the earth of every kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals of the earth of every kind, and the cattle of every kind, and everything that creeps upon the ground of every kind, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, See, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food, and every beast of the earth, and every bird of the air, and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished, and all their multitude. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So, God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because on it God rested from all the work that he had done in creation.
the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Gee, that was a very long reading. Who selected that? I, I'm going to ask Reverend Chambers to play music while I preach. That might make it better, don't you think? Lovely. Uh, friends, it's good to be with you in worship today. It's always a delight to be with you. And to my friends who are streaming at home, I want you to know that 9 o'clock is not only a beautiful service because of uh, a different option musically, but it's also one where you can spread out. And so I know a lot of you are traveling, but if you're COVID cautious, as many are in our congregation, we do say that this is a service you can probably plug into and be relatively safe. And we want you back. And so we'd love to see you. Friends, we're starting today a new series called, I forget what I called it. I think it's called Twins, Creation and Redemption. So in October, we're going to be talking about creation and redemption. And these are two theological twins. Um, today, we're talking about this great story at the beginning of our scriptures. And I hope that you will wade with me into the waters of not just the beginning narratives of the world, but the meaning of life. Let's turn our hearts together in prayer. Creator God, we're thankful for this life and the gift of it that we've all received. We confess that we have not always been faithful to that gift. We have been wayward, unwise. We have been sinful. And if, even when we walk far away from you, we know and believe in our hearts that you've sent your son Christ to reconcile us unto yourself, and we're grateful for the gift. And we believe as well that your son is cultivating in us a desire for your will be done, not our will be done. We're grateful for the formation. It is also the shape of our shared faith and hope that you've sent your Holy Spirit as a guide, counselor, and friend to us to make us a unity, a community of care. Send your spirit now freshly in this hour for you and I know that without you I can do nothing. So may it be so that whoever's in this place or can hear my voice online or around the world, that your spirit would come upon them and ignite something new in their life with these words. It's in the matchless name of your son we pray. Amen. I want to talk to you today about creation. We just heard, beautifully read by Dr. Wortman and played by Reverend Chambers, the first creation myth in scripture. And that's right, I said the word myth. Myth does not mean untrue. Myths contain value, much more than they're interested in brute facts as we understand them scientifically. In the ancient world, there are many different creation myths or stories that are communicating not how things got started, but why things got started. And here's the one that we often think about. It doesn't take much to read it and see that it is poetic and beautiful. I mean, there's a refrain almost at every end of each day, and God looked at what was made and saw that it was good. It's a refrain uh, like a song, almost like, reminds me of, you know, what's that song? Don't worry, be happy. At the end of every verse you have, don't worry, be happy. And it gets stuck into your head. It, it should get stuck into your head like a lyric. And God looked at what was made and saw that it was good. Now there's this Hebrew professor at Wheaton named John Walton who says that 
Genesis 1, 1 through 2, 3, which is the textual unit, is not a material account of origins. That is to say, this is not a text trying to be scientific. Had no interest in that. Especially the sciences we understand it post the Enlightenment. It's rather a polemical tale. A lot of Old Testament uh, scholars believe, I think, I agree, that this story was probably penned in exile or maybe post-exile. So this means this. The people of God who lived in Israel, the Israelites, the Hebrews, our Jewish brothers and sisters of the ancient world, were taken off to exile and they lived in Babylon. And there it was the job of moms and dads and grandparents to pass along their covenant story that they had with God to their children. It's like how you do any culture or any religion. You have to share the stories. You've got to share the practices and you pass it down. And they think it was there that the creation stories that they've been told for generations was finally penned. And the reason why is because they lived in a world that had other creation myths and narratives and stories that said something different about the world. There's this one story. It's about two gods, Marduk and Tiamat. These are two violent, warring gods, and they go to have combat with one another. And one of them bests the other and rips the body of that god in half and throws half up and creates the sky, half down creates the earth, and then makes humans out of the earth. The second creation account in Genesis actually says something similar, that humans are created out of this, this dust, the Adam, the dirt of the world, the hummus, the human nature comes from hummus. At any rate, what did the Marduk and Tiamat story tell us about the nature of the world? It's chaotic in its DNA. It's violent. What does it tell us about humans? Born out of war, violence, chaos. But the Hebrews were telling their children something different. They, they were saying things like, in the beginning, God. This story doesn't have God consulting blueprints, contra Plato. It doesn't have God going to uh, the cosmic Home Depot for supplies. God is before all things. Supreme. Thank you, D. Supreme before all things. And then when God sets his mind to work. He looks down or looks upon and says, wow, it was good. How is that polemical? In a world where the world is created out of violence and chaos and destruction and war, we have a different story telling us that before war and before violence, which we're all capable of and is in the natural order, before all of it is goodness. Before all of it is blessing. Before all of it is beauty and order. Wow. It's so polemical, in fact, that if you read carefully, it says in the beginning God created and there was light, first day, right? But it tells us the sun and moon weren't created till the fourth day. How's that? These ancient writers weren't stupid, friends. It wasn't a mistake of science. 
in that day and time, in certain regions of the Middle East, the sun and moon were deities. It's polemical. It's trying to tell you something that's different than other worlds and other people were saying about the nature of our world. And then on the sixth day, it said God created humankind in God's own image. And then it implies that that gives us a certain vocation, a job. Make no mistake, humans are animals. You're an animal. It just so happens that you have certain gifts that makes you different than the rest of the animal order. In the scriptures, we talk about this being the, the image of God, although there's much more scientifically to speak of here. But I think the point is this. You have a job to do. It says that male and females are created in the image of God, and then there's this thing called the, the, the Genesis mandate, where you hear language like, have dominion over creation, subdue creation. Those, those words, that bit of language has been used terribly in the modern world, especially after the Enlightenment. And a lot of people want to blame those words and ideas for the environmental disasters we're seeing. And so they want to blame the Judeo-Christian tradition. I wrote a PhD on this. There's a lot to say about that. But I'll say this, it shouldn't really make us think that we should be despotic overlords over creation. Subdue and dominion does not mean that I can be um, a brute leader that uses inert natural things and call them resources and separate myself from them. That's not really the language in Hebrew. Ellen F. Davis is this great Old Testament scholar over it. Duke Divinity School. I think Dr. Wortman studied with her. Fantastic. She reminds us that there's a Hebrew word here. It doesn't mean mastery over the animals and the plants and the rocks and the land of the world. It's more like mastery among. Just, just different. She said it's more like, a, like the shepherd leading the sheep. Shepherds only lead sheep when they're inside the flock walking with the sheep. You have been given talents and gifts and you've evolved differently than other animals and perhaps the purpose, my friends, is so that you can lead the world and lead creatures in the world to greater levels of flourishing. I want to ask you a question. I want you to be blunt and honest with your own self. Do you live in such a way as to make the world around you flourish? That's what you're called to. That's what I'm called to. That might be the point of it. Now, when you read this story in a lot of English Bibles, it's interesting because there's a, there's a heading usually put up there. And, um, it's in every chapter of the Bible. It, it, the heading tells you something. The heading in the NRSV, which is the version we read here, says creation and Sabbath. Now, let me explain something. That's not proper Bible. That's, that's editors. That's translators. That's people who are trying to make readers like you and me have an easier time of understanding the scriptures. But, but that's not there originally. That's, ad, that's an add-on. And all these add-ons are interpretations. And I think that's a bad interpretation. To say creation and Sabbath makes it seem as though Creation is the six-day project that God does. 
And then he gets really tired. And so he's got to take a break on the seventh day. That's stupid. I mean, to, to have a notion of a God who gets tired is silly. That's silly. That's not, that's not what happens. I'm sorry. I'm just feeling a little cheeky today. Um, but the point, I think, is that creation in this story, in this myth, in this poem, is a seven-day project. Sabbath is part of it. It's not an add-on day. In fact, Norman Wiersbe, another Duke professor that all three of us over here really enjoy, uh, has written that each day of creation anticipates the Sabbath. Day one is looking forward to day seven. Day two is looking forward to day seven. It's almost as if in the very beginning of Scripture we get the purpose of it all, and the purpose is Sabbath. And we all know that it says that God sits back and doesn't create. Now, right before, what he does is, is he looks at all of it together. And it's all created, right? And he says, it's very good. This is the refrain changing. It's not just good, it's very good. He, he looks at it in its biodiversity. He says, it's very good. And then he takes this break, this rest. What's he rest for? Well, he rests for the meaning of Eden. So you know about the Garden of Eden. It's in there in the early stories of the Bible. The, the meaning of this word is, is ultimately delight. There's this Hebrew word, menuah, which means delight. It's used in here. This notion that, that God looks at all this beauty and splendor and order and goodness that, that God has imaginatively created and meant for its flourishing and, and, and delights in it. That seventh day of Sabbath becomes not just something that we look forward to so we don't have to work, but it becomes, in the story, a sort of purpose for things. Our lives are meant to be lived in such a way that we take delight, not just in our own blessedness. We delight in a life we've been given, sure but we delight in the interconnections of reality. Have you ever just sat back and said, this meal on my plate is the product of other life giving itself up that I might sustain my own? How beautiful is that? How beautiful is it that I sacrifice time in my tomato garden for tomatoes and I follow the lead of the plant? I prune, I lead, and then I receive, I lay, I submit to even the plant, I give life to the plant, I grow soils, not just plants, I make it flourish, but then I also receive from the plant. These relationships of interconnection within the world are meant to not only make you feel moments of gratitude, but straight up delight. Isn't that what it's all about? Isn't that the world that we've been made for? The flourishing of all things? The Sabbath is also radically political. And I know you don't want me to get political, but I don't care. It's anti-capitalist, anti-consumerist, anti-our world. Because it's a day when you say, I don't have to strive today. I'm going to say there's already enough. 
I'm going to trust God so much that I don't have to work today. Now, maybe you don't get that because you work in an office, but by, <laughs> you live in an agrarian world, and I come from the world of farmers. That's a very big ask to people. Ask people not to work on a day when you have a day off or time. Because we're meant for Sabbath delight, steeping ourselves in the whole of creation that God has given and finding joy and beauty and vitality with our relationship to God, one another, and with the wider world. What's, crea Sorry. What's creation for? That. God has generously given what is not God life. God has generously given what is not God life to be. It's not about doing. Americans are doing culture. What do you do? First question you get asked. We, are, we should be a being culture. To be in the blissful ocean of divine grace. What's it for? You and I, we, if we're good, we tend to think about how our lives are anticipating eternality with God in heaven. You just go back to this first creation story and you see it, it told in a week's time with a Sunday and a Sabbath. It prefigures all of it. So I charge you to go out into the world. Ask yourself the question, how am I making the world around me flourish? Because it might just be your job. It might be the most important thing that you could ever do. How can I live in such a way to make people around me and the world around me and the creatures around me flourish? You can start in your yard and your household and work out. And then... I'm going to give you something fun to do. And, and I'm going to give you a job for your life. They should make a TED Talk out of this. Be imaginative about how you can do it. It might just be the point of everything. Peace out.